dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is called Daily. Here's my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And we're going to follow up the premiere of The Handmaid's Tale second season. Since we're getting two episodes on one night, we're going to have to do two podcasts back to back. So this second episode of the second season is called Unwomen. What a freaky freaking title, Paul. That's Margaret Atwood. That is her word. What does it mean to be unwomen? These are the women that, according to Gilead's views, reject the whole idea of marriage, having children, and having men for spouses, and that kind of stuff. So these are going to be lesbians and other people that just don't fit the cookie cutter mold of Stepford people that Gilead wants. Okay, so all of these people have done something that is viewed as like some sort of crime or sin against Gilead. Or is it like, could you have gone here if you just like couldn't have a child or whatever? Or like, no, this is definitely crime. It's punishment. It's definitely punishment. Okay, so when we're saying, like, where are you going? What's punishment? We're talking about the colonies, y'all. And not, like, back into the 1700s, per se, but, like, really. Now, from the book, I don't recall that things were just women. But this looked to be just women. I only saw women, agreed, just women in this colonies. And it also seemed even women overseers as well. So, I mean, it really, truly seemed to be just women. And we're saying women... These are the unwomen, if right, you will. Yeah. Females. I mean, being, I got to imagine being a colony overseer is not really like a plum assignment. Oh my God. I can't even imagine what those people have done. How do you, how are you like trustworthy enough to be an overseer, yet you have to be in the colonies? Good night, Irene. The, what is this? The treatment of the women is not even like with Lydia's like, well, you know, if I like you, I'll be nice to you streak. It's like, no, I hate all of you. And it's all that, oh, that horrible, random, like cattle prodding business that I swear to God, I would like lose my shit literally if I was like just doing my work and like, you know, I don't know, like something was like rustled beside me and I looked up and it's like, you know, you have to keep looking. You're like, I would, I would freak out, freak out. But you might become like a target if you if you did shit every time you were tased. Like, go t- go taste that one. She shits. <laughs> Colonies are a bad place, you guys. This is awful, an awful space here. So by the looks of things, this setting of the colonies is some sort of equivalent of like our farmland we assume we're still in america maybe not even that far away from gilead we don't know and what it appears that they're doing is the overseers have on these like gas masks we'll call that ppe what is ppe personal protective equipment oh we're gonna call that ppe Mm y'all you down with ppe paul In uh, toxic events, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know me. Oh, sorry. Duh! Yeah, you know me! There you go. That's much better. Much better. And what it looks like they're doing is they're trying to shovel toxic ground, dirt, into bags, and I assume they're somehow disposing of this. Now, is the thought process that at some point in time, we're going to dig deep enough to get back to some sort of earth that is usable? I've never heard of it working that way. Um, I, I mean, like Chernobyl happened like 20 years ago and people- Only 20 years s- ago? People aren't allowed to go there. They they actually tour, but you have to um, get to wear a radiation monitor and and the tour can't be very long and, and then you have to get back out because, you know, it's, it's not reclaimable yet. P.S. Paul, it happened in 86. Okay, so 30 years ago, 32 years ago, right? Yeah, uh-huh. So if you guys don't know, Chernobyl was a a nuclear accident in Russia. If you noticed, 
when they when they turn their shovels over, I thought it looked like uh, creme brulee. Do you know what I mean by that? Huh? Do explain. When you get creme brulee, they they heat the top right with their little blowtorch, and it and it creates this nice sugary shell, so that your your spoon has to break through it. And then there's the meaty goodness of the custard below, right? Right. Well, the ground had that same effect where the top seemed glassy, right? Yeah. And they had to chip through it. And there, unfortunately, was not delicious custard underneath. It was irradiated soil. So just out of curiosity, do you have any idea how long before Chernobyl is going to be considered safe for human habitation. They always throw out gigantic numbers like a thousand years. Actually, 20,000 years. So do we think that these women with their little their little trowels and shovels are going to be able to dig deep enough to represent 20,000 mm-hmm. years worth of soil erosion and or what changing over of things like we're going to dig deep enough? This is ridiculous, you guys. Ridiculous. Radiation lives for so long and it seeps into everything. It's got this leaching effect. There were other colonies in the book, but I doubt we're going to see them. Really? There, it was just, it was like work detail, kind of. Okay, so there was, there was a farming toxic land colony is that a right way to describe that unfortunately yeah okay and then what were some of the other colonies like more like farming arable land so okay the women would be the fruit pickers or 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 the colonists would be the fruit pickers because again i don't remember them specifying that it was just women there is a lot in the book that june's mom was sent to the colonies remember how she was left out of the the first season almost completely Yes. So, yeah. Um, the, well, she was only talked about. She was only, only just right, talked about because she right. had done the vasectomy for that that one gentleman who helped them get away. The book suggests that they had a massive falling out and June couldn't catch up with her mom before everything went down. So next thing she finds out is that she's in the colonies. So, so we, I'm going to assume, though, honestly, that we are going to meet June's mom in some way. Do you remember her first name by any chance? No. But that is totally fertile ground. It's the last thing left from the book um, because the the girl or the woman known as of Glenn in the book was never really named Emily. I mean, Offred was never named June. So they've changed those things. But um, once we lose track of, uh, of Emily in the book of Glenn, uh, she's gone. You know, she is just gone, gone. So I think it's the strength and the merit of Alexis Bledel's portrayal that got her some awards that made it so that, I mean, they're putting her front and center in the second episode of this season. That to me says we have a second female lead. Right. I, I believe so. Yes. Because she and was it's just going a to guest show us before. this like offshoot. Yes. This other. This other strand of life that's going on. So if you guys don't want spoilers, plug your ears for the next like 15 seconds or so. But I don't know if you pronounce her name, Cherry or Sherry. Jones will appear in season two as Holly, mother of June. And it's it was unclear whether she's going to be in one episode or more than one episode. But she is apparently going to be there. Yeah, and that's the only part in the book when they really elaborate on the colonies and any anything more than a sentence or two. You have to understand the way that Margaret Atwood wrote the book, if you never read it, was it's all from June's point of view. So, of course, we never find out her name because no one ever uses it, and she doesn't refer to herself as June. Okay. She says, I, you know? Right, So we never know her name. So do you want to explain the actual setup of the book, like how it is presented right from the get-go? Hmm. It's been a while, but it's all first person, and it doesn't... I don't think it starts with the um, escape sequence. I think it. Be- I believe it starts in the center where she is being indoctrinated into being a handmaid. Okay, that's where it starts, and it and it's horrific sounding. And then they jump to the placement with the with the Waterfords and and all that. And then so these different things that get talked about as flashbacks or represented as flashbacks, some of them are from the book 
but she mentions they're not discrete sections like you might expect. Okay. Like they are simply just, she's just kind of running in, in her dialogue, talking to herself about this reminds me of this, this reminds me of that or whatever. And so it might just be a sentence of this reminds me of that time that Luke did blah, 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 or whatever. So it's just, just like people think. You know, right. And that makes sense because, I mean, there's no reason why there would be like a full vignette of, you know, something else at being a flashback. I think that part of that just has to do with the medium of like, you know, in a book, you can write it one way. But in a TV show, you know, they, they, they need to actually show that thought depicted in, you know, visually. So then it's it's going to come off in these flashbacks. And you're right. They do do a little bit more to show them. I think that part of it is that, you know, the book is is not that long when it comes to how much of the plot has already been used up. And so I, it's interesting if you could take a line of a flashback and spread it out and actually, you know, make it 30 minutes of an episode, then you just extend it into an additional season from one sentence that was given to you in the book. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was a smart way to extend the amount of material that they had. So let's get back to these colonies here. We have Emily, um, again, Alexis Bledel, for you guys who remember, she played Rory Gilmore, most especially um, for for the majority of those who know her. She was also on like Traveling Pants, that sister had Traveling Pants. and um, Pretty tragic character in Mad Men. Yes, as well. <laughs> Where she met her husband. Yeah, there you go. Um, so she is kind of like a self-appointed Florence Nightingale at this place. Yeah, she's a trained mi microbiologist, as we which learn. is as close to a medical doctor <laughs> as you're going to get in the colonies, it looks like. And so, yeah, you're right. She has like a little like tin lunchbox of bandages and herbs and whatever she could cobble together to try to help people. It looks like the main problem, aside from the radiation, of course, is calluses and the kinds of stresses that long work days has on a body and it seems like you know the idea of infection and um this these respiratory distress that everybody is having she seems you know like she has sort of figured out some of the herbs and trying to figure out how to calm things like you know an upset stomach or you know trying to figure out ways and she seems to have collected up enough information or knows enough information about the rules of things you know how do you how do you handle the water how do you handle what do you do instead how do you wash up? How do you do things? She seems to have, is going to be the person who's going to share those rules with us. Yeah. So where are we at? This idea of antibiotics, do you think that that actually exists? It sounded like she said she found some duck eggs and she traded for some antibiotics. What, what does this tell us about uh, there being like sort of this outside existence? Does this mean like part of America is like totally acting normal somewhere? No. It suggests to me that, just like any prison, some guards will work with you a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I meant, like, where are they getting antibiotics unless somebody's, like, manufacturing them somewhere? And so I was just trying to think, like, does it mean that anywhere, any place, that there is still well, factories the, working and things happening? The specific time that I remember her mentioning antibiotics was in relation to what she did to the wife. Which those weren't real antibiotics, oh, no, if you right? didn't put that together. That was kind of amazing. Let's talk about that scene for a minute. So I recognize that as Marissa Tomei, um, and she had this really interesting little guest moment here where she is representing a wife who has been sent to the colonies. A big shocker to see a wife in that role, but it turns out she has made a terrible decision. She's an adulterer, adulter adulteress, if you will. Adulting it up. Yeah. yeah. Being a real adulter person. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but it was interesting when she was like, well, my husband didn't even notice because he was too busy with our handmaid. Whoa. Wait, look can cast some fingers. Like, <laughs> I think that was a very bad aspersion there, madam. Emily doesn't care. Oh, I think she is way offended by that particular remark. I think when you say my husband was too busy with our handmaid, what, raping her? Like, so you went out and had sex with somebody else? Like, the hell, you know? I think mm. that was the comment that you, sealed that woman's fate. You didn't take that as he was fooling around with her on the side, kind of like Fred tries to do with his 
I, th- I think it's exactly like that. And it's exactly like how June had all that say in fooling around with Fred, equaling no say at all. That, right. You know, yeah. and so Emily was kind of looking at her like, like your handmaid wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. That wasn't a thing. So equating that with some sort of affair was like the, like, like get a life woman. Well, and plus she, she threw herself into all of the little psalms and bullshit oh of, of the Gilead state religion while she was there. I mean, you are in basically the earthbound version of hell. There's no amount of prayers that's going to make a damn bit of difference about your outcome now, you know? So scary. that The whole, I mean, oh, it's just so scary. So I thought one little vignette that was super interesting was when the wife first comes in and the whatever the the marms that are in charge of the place hand her supplies and she was like oh thank you and she goes uh, fucking bitch that's how she responded to the wife <laughs> i was like whoa <sighs> damn that that's wicked right? off to a bad start <laughs> yeah i would say <laughs> so i thought this was brilliant work by emily to say you need to take these antibiotics right and you're gonna feel totally better this wife is barfing. First of all, I have this ongoing dream, you guys, of this really disgusting bathroom situation. Like I'm in like a public toilet and there's like poop everywhere. I know it's awful. I know it makes you all queasy right now. It makes me queasy every time I have any dream about poop this. everywhere. Shut up, you. So then to see her hanging over toilets that are obviously not clean i was like already kind of like irping in my throat like i cannot handle this so when emily goes over there and is like dealing with her i'm like my god these people have like steel everything not just nerves but like stomachs and just everything it's like unbelievable to me that emily can like stand any of it you know tell me something when she gave her the antibiotics, which we find out are poison pills. Right. Poison uh, pizza. Poison pizza pills. And she says, a mistress was kind to me once as her reason. Yeah. And she said it with some amount of sincerity, mm-hmm. but then she ends up killing the woman. So what? Let's let's think about it as a couple of different ways. So in one way, you could think, well, killing a person was a really awful awful thing to do that by by our society today right but in some way this woman was not cut out to be here right she thought she was gonna god was gonna save her and all this kind of stuff right yeah so in many ways emily actually giving her a way out to die quickly and in just a couple of hours as opposed to hacking herself to death in thinking god was gonna save her maybe you could look at it as like an act of mercy now i know when Emily says to her, when she says, why, why, why did you do this? She says, because you held down the arms of another woman while your husband Right. Her. That's what confused me. Right. So I would say that maybe in that, maybe in the moment of giving her the pills, maybe, and she said the mistress was kind to me once, maybe she was showing some amount of mercy. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know Emily's ways yet. I don't feel like I've had enough like absorbing of the current day Emily to know where we are in her story. This was a fast and furious episode for me. But I do feel like some part of her, she wasn't just out to kill people in the colonies. Right. You know, And, and yes, I do think part of it was an act of vengeance, though. After that, you know. Okay. I I do think there's some part of her that's like, and, you know. So how did the wife get crucified, though? Oh, my God. All I could think was that after she died, for whatever reason, you know how they showed Emily being outside collecting up those herbs? Yes. And she sees the the other bus come up? Well, it made me think, like, I guess they don't have very tight restrictions on, like, having to, like, be in your bed or anything. Like, I guess it's just, like, whatever. Where are you going to go? Go ahead. I think that's it. I think it's, like, the gulag, like, you know. Yeah, there's, that, there's nothing for you. Listen, you, the only place I've seen the gulag is on that Muppet movie, and those prison guards are pretty strict. So I don't know what gulag shows you've been watching, but even on the Muppets, they have to be in their cells. Muppet gulag. So yeah, that's what I've seen. With what's what's the dude's name? Constantine. With Constantine. Yeah. 
So if we see Emily with a little mole, we'll know it's Constantine. <laughs> the Constantine version. <laughs> it's Constantine version of Emily. It's Smemily. Right. Right. So, all right. Anyway, then that was a little side jaunt for y'all Muppet lovers. So we have this wife crucified. I think it's a message. Obviously, I think Emily does this. I think she takes her out there. I have no idea how she constructs a cross. With mm-hmm. What tools and what? I don't know. This would take, you know, hammering, nailing. Where are you getting nails and stuff? Like, I mean, I just, I don't, maybe, maybe it's one of those things where you do like a primitive thing where you could make a cross, you know, sometimes you use like rope and you can do it like X's and X's and you can kind of make two. Yeah. Kind of seen a cross done like that. So that, and then obviously hanging her up there and everything. Now the weirdy thing is when everyone sees her out there, there was a comment made by somebody who was like, uh, something like there's going to be punishment for this. Mm -hmm. Something like that. What, did you hear what the actual words were? Uh, That was the sentiment. I can't remember what the actual words were, but holy smoke. Oh, someone says there will be consequences. Fateful words in this show. Fateful words because Aunt Lydia said the same thing. Yeah. Back in the previous one. So freaky Bobiki, you guys. Obviously, we have pretty clear symbolism up there for, you know. Right. She's not dying for anyone else's sins, but she is dying for sins, right? Uh, I think, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think there's a sacrifice being made here in a pretty serious way. I, I don't know what to think about the idea of like what Emily's up to. I think that it's interesting how Emily has managed to carve her own like niche out in this colonies in that she seems to have like purpose in her day. She seems to be like finding a way to feel like she's being helpful and, and, um, I think purpose is the main word I want to use because I think when you like lose that part, that's when you like start to go crazy, you know, but she's got mm-hmm. things she needs to do. She's got to help bandage hands and, you know, figure out how to use her herbs and stuff. So I had some funny, this is going to sound so weird, but like actually hopeful feelings for Emily, like in that she was still managing to stay strong even as insane as her situation, and certainly first season, good God, she actually still is managing to, like, make a life. It's so weird. It's so weird. But she's, like, still doing it, you know? Yeah. Well, and with the addition of Janine, who comes when the crucifixion is discovered, we get probably another new project for her. Absolutely. And like a definitely a whole nother, like when we were talking about storylines, having like, you know, a second main, main lead. I think that the two of them form a very strong storyline going on over in the colonies. Now, I, I do want to say that the bell actually rang a couple of times during the colonies part. One time the bell rang and they were supposed to like say prayers Okay. And I thought that was kind of interesting and weird. Um, And then a bell rang when the bus arrived for Janine. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Maybe the bell was ringing for when the wife came too. Maybe that's why the bell was ringing. So oh. maybe they pray when people are getting off the bus. I don't know. But they there was definitely that use of the bell ringing uh, again, which I just thought was like a little bit of an interesting tie-in with Aunt Lydia and such. It's like they want to gather the women to to uh, swear at the new person. I don't, yeah, right. like, fucking bitch. They just yell. Right. Ding dong, are... ding dong. Oh, oh gotta go. Right. Exactly. Hello, bitch. <laughs> oh, my God. That is awful. Oh, my God. You guys, we have to laugh because this is so serious and crazy that it's like hard to just keep yourself uh in that place so apologies if we don't seem like we're taking it seriously good day whore (laughs) well you know that wife was waka 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 oh my god that's your gulag muppet right i love it okay so that is basically where emily's storyline ends in this episode first of all were you shocked to see emily I want to say yes, because it makes for, you know, better TV, but I knew she was coming back because we follow the show in the off season and, and she, and Alexis had won the awards. And I mean, if you watched her, I said this in in last season, but just in case you're picking up this season, um, Alexis Bedell in Gilmore Girls created a character was a very challenging role for her to act in and she did it, but she wasn't always super convincing. You know, she wasn't really 
always able to emote everything that I think the script called for. Would you would you describe it any other way? No, I think that's a good way to describe it. And so when you see her in other things, you think you're going to get this same actress that had some trouble with a range of emotions, okay? So when you get her in this and she does so well, <laughs> it's it's like, holy shit. You know, I've right. completely misjudged the capabilities of Alexis Bledel. Well, and I think, too, the character is like a 180 from like a Rory Gilmore character where like she was supposed to speak fast and sarcastic and be funny and have all this kind of stuff. And then this character is so much more reserved and so much more. I don't know. I want to almost use the word like wise in a weird way. And so it's it's interesting to to see that like maybe she should have never been in something that was so light and comedic. You know, maybe she should have been in a in more of a drama always. Mm. And maybe she would have really, you know, had a chance to shine more like that because because we did like her in Mad Men. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't have an issue there, but it was like, and plus, I mean, to be fair, Gilmore Girls was her very first job and she didn't know what she was doing. She had come from all. modeling. Right. And she didn't know what she was doing at all. And so she learned like on the set. And so, I mean, that's amazing as is to keep up with someone like Lauren Graham, who is, you know, like Mensa material. So, I mean, that's crazy. But I do agree with you wholeheartedly that she has found her calling in the drama serious nature like her face does a way better job exuding pain and and anguish than it ever did you know the silliness that was Gilmore Girls so basically she knocks it out gets a couple of awards and the producers basically I feel were like we are not letting her go (laughs) this is something we have to keep up with and maybe even beef up I think so. And I think it also, like you said, it gives us such a great opportunity to be able to show more aspects of the whole world that we're dealing with. You yeah. know, if we only follow June, then like you said, the parts of the book that you might say, I'm going to use quotations here, like suffer, it would be that you're only getting June's point of view. So you're never really sure of like what else is going on elsewhere. But by having Emily survive and now Janine survive and be added to her story we're gonna have an opportunity i mean who knows maybe they'll escape from the colonies go where i don't know but we'll get an opportunity to see what else is out there and i think that's per i assume they're gonna meet holly i don't know why they wouldn't it reminds me of uh when damon was talking about the third season of the leftovers referring to scott glenn he says we've had a starter working as a reliever (laughs) and so we're gonna put them back in as a starter yeah, he said he couldn't leave him on the bench anymore. Right. So, yeah, for sure. I feel that way about Alexis. You're right, that she was just sort of, you know, this this background as needed. And now she's like, she can hold her own. You know, she can do this. Yeah. So I look forward to finding out lots more about Emily. I Do you think they will stick around in this particular colony? Is there going to be something that brings them elsewhere? Or is this where we're going to meet Holly? And that's where, like, the, the chunk of the story is going to fall there? I could see it going a few ways. I mean, Janine is not suited for anything i can't imagine janine here she feels like she's gonna be like doing something like throwing dirt in the air and twirling in a circle under it like and she and she may even uh emily i mean may even decide it's she's better off putting her down than watching her get beaten every day whoa but then i bet there's like this change of heart where it's like you know i can't kill her but we can't stay either so maybe just maybe like Janine's like sort of naivete will be Emily's like push to maybe figure out a way out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like some need to protect her. That's my like completely it. unfounded prediction. I like that. I like that. Okay. Well, I, I, I look forward to how that part works out. Well, let's get into Emily's flashbacks because we do get an opportunity to see what was her life like before. And we actually hit her just at the same point in time when we had that Luke and June flashback with Hannah in the in episode one. So in this one, this is where we're finding out that Emily is actually a professor. Right. She's a tenure track pr- professor, like a researching, you know, big deal college professor. and. I have in my my notes that she shuts down some guy trying to mansplain over one of her of her female students. I thought this that was so important in that moment because I mean again I probably don't 
even realize that this happens all the time, but it does. You know, a, a, a woman is wanting to ask a question and some guy decides to, like you said, mansplain. The fact that we have a term for it is like, mm, how common is it then? I really appreciated that Emily then went up to her and tried to talk to her later and was like, hey, you know, don't let don't let guys like that, you know, screw things up for you. But then to realize that the fact that she had gotten out her phone, it had to have been that student that turned her in because the, that student saw that she had a picture of Oliver on her phone. And she says, oh, is that um... your son? And she's like, yeah, it is. And later on, that exact moment seems to come up with the dean. Well done, Watson. Thanks. I'm assuming. But God, how awful. So, but think about how awful that is, Paul. Think about that for a second. She was going and reaching a hand out to another woman and saying, hey, you know, let me try to help you out. And rather than that woman accepting help and being like loyal in any way, she's probably the one that turned her in. Mm. Oh my God. Again, what message are we getting? Like women, stop freaking beating each other down you know don't be the ones that turn each other in for god's sake mm -hmm. insane so then we have this conversation with the dean who i thought did a decent job of trying to bury the headline here i gotta feel like being gay himself he was trying to protect her basically right he was oh absolutely he was trying to hide her right Get her and, like off of the, but not you know, the in the catalog, but not for personal gain or anything like that. I think it was more like I am worried about how this is going to come out for you. Absolutely, and and he, and he basically explains that. I think that you know all of her protesting about it completely ceased when he says, "Didn't you notice I took down the pictures of Paul?" You know, and and he's right. Like, he's oh, saying I I am oh. doing things to survive. Because I can see what's happening. I need you to see it too. Right. And she still, you know, doesn't and is indignant is all I'm going to teach next semester. Like she's still, again, like, like they showed in the previous episode, like still people are like, well, that's crazy, but not like taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. Well, she still thought that there was another semester to come back to. And it well, that <laughs> looks too. like probably not. Oh my God. How shocked were you when she was walking over that elevated walkway and it said the word faggot was had been spray painted on the sidewalk i had i thought everyone was looking down at that i had no idea what they were looking up at oh yeah did you did you kind of catch her that she kind of glanced up i had a feeling that the dean did was going to be out there oh yeah. damn okay so then her running out there that was not a shock to you at all no, because there was a reaction on the uh, from the crowd, people running by. People don't run to see faggots spray painted on the ground, but they would for someone hanging like that. My so, God. Yeah. So that it's just insane. I mean, that means that I, I really hope that we get an opportunity to see who are these people that would have come and would have grabbed the dean and would have hung him in broad daylight at a university generally like in front of everybody you know kind of thing you know like who and how would this have all worked but these are i think very similar to the people that that put god hates fags on like church marquees yeah uh or like uh protest funerals of of people who are gay right right and so but the difference here is that this is like almost institutionalized meaning Right. It's almost to the point where it's accepted. It's okay. Well, he was just gay anyway. You know, that well, sort of and thing. And almost like there was no thought of, like, she didn't say someone called the police. You know, mm. like there's been a hate crime and something awful has happened here. Like people just looked. Yeah. Nobody That's what I mean, thought it was like almost. an emergency. Yeah. Whereas right now, they put that kind of shit on the news and the rest of the universe is like, I can't believe we're all human beings. We get to count the people that think that way in the same category as me and mine. Exactly. Well, and and of course, I mean, the first thing someone would start screaming, call 911, call an ambulance, call the police, call the fire. You know, someone would be screaming outside, like call for help. Nobody seemed to be. Yeah. And so that made you kind of feel like, oh, my God, like, I don't know that anyone was calling anyone. And if they did, I don't know that anyone was coming. What the hell does that mean? You know, they got a hold of like all our emergency. Everything. Things are changing fast because the very next scene is at Logan Airport where yeah. anybody with a head on straight is getting out, you know, mm -hmm. and that includes Emily and her wife, who I think was Clea Duvall. 
uh, which okay. which would make two pretty weighty co or uh, well known guest stars in one single episode, and their daughter, right? Daughter or son? Son Oliver. Son trying to get out of town, and this is how quickly things changed, right? At one security checkpoint, their gay marriage is good. And by the time they get to the next one, it's bad. Which is so insane. I mean, I think even the part where the guard was like, I'm sorry, you know, like we had a different set of rules this morning. I have to like read them over again. Wow. Wow. I mean, I I don't get it. I just, her, by the way, her name, her wife's name is Sylvia. Um, I just cannot understand how did they do this? How did they clamp down so fast, you know? And again, we haven't seen enough to know like what were other things leading up? Like how did we get to this point? And I really hope we get a chance to delve into that because otherwise to me, I feel like I don't know why I want to be led by the nose on this, but some part of me wants to be like, tell me exactly so that when that thing happens, I know 20 steps ahead of this handmade situation that it's coming. Like, I want them to tell me what it looked like. If there was a shortage of births in America right now, I could very well see where the right would gain a lot of traction and issues like abortion and that kind of stuff would all of a sudden be like, it's like a non-starter. There's no abortion. You know, that kind of stuff would start to be commonplace. So we were talking in the last episode about regulating birth control to the point where your husband needs to give approval. Like we we live in a state where like abortion is is not super convenient for a woman to just go out and do, right? That's something like they have to come back the next day. They have to see an ultrasound or something. It's not something that's just like a very easy, right? Yeah, there's some rule where they have, yeah, there is. there are some it, obstacles. It's almost it's like not, you have to have your dad sign, but it's not yeah. like that, but it's kind of like that. Yeah, and, and it's not, I mean, we live in Texas. It's not, just so you guys are clear, it is not the kind of thing where, like, you can't have an abortion. You absolutely can, but it there are a couple of, like, weird, I, and I don't know them specifically. It was something about, uh, I can't remember if it's, like, I don't want to say heartbeat because that sounds so weird, but it was like something like there are some amount of like, and especially the come the next day, like where it's mm-hmm. like, there has to be like a, like almost like a waiting period, yeah. so you, you know, for you to like think about it or And this whatever. changes every legislative period. Yes. It changes to where make, then there's no to get weirder period or every or, time. Yeah. Things but go my, all over. my point in bringing that up is that we live in a universe that does consider these things, you know what I mean? But... For the American government to get to the next point where they say, and gay marriage is illegal again. Um, that part makes me like, okay, how far are we into the changeover at the moment that they're at Logan Airport? Because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit the we're just trying to get children born kind of effort. Well, and it kind you know of, I mean? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, it goes... That's where the part where the religious aspect of it seems to trump the actual like productivity standpoint of it. Okay. Because I mean, Sylvia and Emily have a son. And while it hasn't been made a hundred percent clear, I, I think it's that it was Emily who carried Oliver, but I, I don't know that we got in that whole interrogation part, whether it was her eggs or Sylvia's, I'm going to assume the answer was her eggs and that's why they kept her and not Sylvia. But the whole thing of like, they did have a child. I know it wasn't Sylvia that helped make that child in, in theory here. Mm-hmm. So it's hard because it's like I, that, that family was raising a child. So that was like a productive use of that family, you know, but it mm-hmm. was like the religious aspect that busted them, not the part about like, we have to have children. We can't, we're, we're still producing children because Emily could have considered if they made some sort of rule where they said, um, maybe instead of making a rule that was negative, let's, if you do the freedom to or the freedom from, right. Instead of taking it the negative, like we're going to take you and make you have children. If there was an incentive, if they said, um, you know, any couple with 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 a loving household and viable eggs and all this stuff who is willing, we will do, you know, free inseminations and we will do, you know, your your medical care will be taken care of all this kind of stuff to try to encourage births. 
Um, as opposed to trying to like, you know, obviously this part of stealing her away, you know, is like yeah. insanity. I wonder if there were steps made before that. Like, I wonder if there was any incentivized, if you have children successfully and healthy, this, that or the other will happen. You know, cause sort of like if you're an Olympian in like a third world country, you will become a king. You know, like, <laughs> is there some sort of, you know, was there some sort of incentive to try i don't know this this situation is so um because it's so crazy and because it's so realistic on one hand like of them being there and and going through the the airport i thought the the most insane scene of a lot of the stuff that we have seen so far was the part where sylvia had to had to decide to leave with oliver and go up that escalator where, like, no one basically was going up the escalator. And there was, like, thousands of people behind that barrier, like, looking up at the escalators that were just empty, that were, like, representative of, like, getting out. Right. I mean, that was probably somehow more heart-wrenching than so much of what we've seen because those people were so innocent and confused about what was happening as opposed to like now when they're living in Gilead, like the rules and the stuff, like it's all made clear. But these people were still like the first steps, like they didn't know what was coming yet. Mm -hmm. And we do. And so to see them like just looking and being like, we'll just like be there later was like, oh, my God, you know. Right. So what would you have done? We sort of talked about this a little bit of the idea of having Sylvia and Emily and, and you know, just two spouses. If one could leave with the children and one couldn't, what would we do? I think we'd get the kids out and then the one that couldn't go, the plan would be get in a car. I know that the the border I think the border's gonna get shut like immediately. Probably, probably not open, but I mean I mean, at a certain point this is turning into um kind of an all or nothing situation. See, I tried to think about this. So, okay. So if I was the one that was able to leave and I could take the kids, I think I'm positive in my heart of hearts, you would tell me to go. And you would say, I will get out of here. You, you go with the kids. I'm yeah. positive. I'm positive. But I tried to think about it the other way. And if it was going to have to be me who was there and you were going to be able to take the children, I couldn't figure out in my head if you would leave. If you would say to me, like, yes, for sure, I, I'm going to, uh, I'll go, if you would leave or not. And I don't mean that in, like, I hope you stayed with me. Not at all. Because I wonder, I think I, my, I think my response would be, go, go get, you know, make the children safe. I know with our own kids, Jack had to go to the NICU. All three of our children had to go to the NICU. But when Jack had to go, this was our third time this had happened. And so I, I remember saying, go with the baby. Even though, like, I was still there in the delivery room and you could have stayed with me and nothing was emergency happening with me at that moment. But it was like I, I remember saying, go with the baby. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like um, to you, I should be more clear. I was telling Paul to go with the baby, to, to follow the baby to the NICU. So I don't know. Would that change anything for you if I was the one that you were leaving behind and you were having to take the kids? Do you think it would be the same type of decision making? It'd be super hard to go without you. With the kids, I don't know why they would. Oh, well, because you're the woman, right? I guess they would keep you. I'm just a simple man with a vasectomy. <laughs> I'm fairly useless in this. You are so useless. This uh, new so useless, world order. and it was a male child. I kind of thought about that too, like the idea that like they actually need female children for the most part, you know? Yeah. Because you know, one man can make a lot of babies with a bunch of females, but. So I was trying to think about the fact that Oliver was a boy and the fact that, you know, it was no big deal to let him go. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I won't, I won't put your back against the wall, but I do think somehow leaving me behind, I guess, I mean, partially because the women are the ones that are being hunted, but that's not clear at this point. You know, I mean, what's, what's clear at this point is that Emily is the, I don't even know if she knows why. I guess in this case, it's because she's an American is why they're saying she has to stay. It's got to be some stretch of of Montana or North Dakota that is just unchecked a, a few miles off the highway and as long as you get a truck that can do it there's nothing stopping you. You Take know it what I mean? across the border? Right. I have no idea. I just don't know turn how north our border and is. Keep going, right? It means got to be a spot. We've only so we've only crossed the border at Buffalo and we've crossed the border down in Mexico. 
And we can tell you what those look like. Um, I mean, you know, they're like what you expect with like the checkpoints and the, you know, the normal drive through with the sort of like a toll boothy kind of thing. People check out everything. But it is curiosity of like, what is it like? Like you said, all along the, our entire northern border. But she can't really get there. I don't think. I don't know. I don't know if she. It seems like you would maybe want to go. I don't know. I don't know. She's in Boston. You'd want to try to just head right up to Maine. But we know that doesn't go well, given <laughs> season one. Right. So. What an insane flashback for her. And, uh, you know, I know we're not going to find out, I don't think, too much about Sylvia's, you know, travel part. But maybe we will because if we got, if we have Luke's background, maybe now we're going to start getting Sylvia. You know, where did Sylvia go? Where's Oliver? Where are they? You know, Mm -hmm. are they looking for Emily? How is that all going? Do you think we will? I mean, if she is, if Emily is becoming our June or a co-June, then does Sylvia, obviously, like you said, Cleo is not a slouch. Does this mean that we are going to be... Clean of all does not seem Sorry, like Clea. a one episode wonder. Why would you bother? I she agree. costs more than than you'd have to pay for someone that was just there for one episode. You so know? then in that case, I think that, that she will re- recur then, right? I gotta imagine. So interesting. Well, then we're going to find another family hunting for their person in Gilead. Which means, again, there's like people out there who are able to try to infiltrate. Again, an exciting turn of events for us, right? We didn't have much June. We just had June bookends for this episode. We did. Let's talk about June for a moment. June, the best as I could tell was that she was taken to a newspaper building. That's my guess because it had an extensive kind of factory looking area. Yeah. And then actual like nice offices. Yeah. With like conference rooms and stuff like that. Right. I agree with you. And since we're pretty sure she's still in Boston. Right. For uh, sure. uh, That was the only thing that made sense. This was the move when the, the man comes and gets her at that first safe house. And when he takes her, this guy seems so much more, I'm going to say the word normal, like as if. He is a little bit more out of this whole Gilead sitch. Now, I mean, of course, the first guy actually picked her up at Aunt Lydia's house of (laughs) horrors. So, I mean, he should be a scaredy scared. But this guy, I mean, when she's like under his eye and he goes, after a while, crocodile, and he like kind of laughs. Yeah. I mean, he is like not in the same echelon of having either seen things nor I don't feel or is in any way indoctrinated into any of this he stuff. Has, he has accepted zero Kool-Aid on the matter. I, I would say, but that's interesting because then it's like, well, who wasn't served the Kool-Aid, Paul? Ooh, and where? You know, because that's curious. How did he manage to avoid it? We have this little moment where June is escaping and she's talking a little bit about, or escaping, she's being sort of transported from one to another. She's talking about what freedom looks like and the idea that, you know, we have all this comfort within our walls, our very structured lives, and, you know, that so much freedom is dizzying. And they kind of do a good job of visually showing us, you know, the world kind of going by in this really sort of almost like she's on a train kind of feeling, but we know she's not. But it's like the the scenery is going by really fast and blurry. Mm-hmm. I thought that this line that she says, Gilead knows no bounds, it's in you, like the spirit of the Lord or the commander's cock or cancer. I, it's all the same. It's all the same, apparently. I, I, I wonder, I mean, obviously, we talk a lot about the, the what's going on, the sicknesses in the colonies. I have to assume they're all getting cancer. Yeah. So then, I don't know, do you think she's referring to that, or do you think that there's something else? No, I think the cancer in this case is more like symbolic. Ah, do tell. All three things are bad to have in you. Okay. Well, the Lord is not so much, but... No, I think it is. For From her perspective, the Lord can go suck it, because the Lord is not doing anything for her. Okay. All right. Interesting. Well, it's getting late, y'all. Paul's getting, like, real <laughs> sass over there. Okay, so... This entire tour of her walking around, and again, it sort of made me have that same exact sadness as I did for those people who were at the airport just looking with this, like, gaping mouths up at those escalators. She's walking around to people's cubicles and has these, you know, their personal items and stuff. How did you feel when you saw that woman's shoe? You know, because my mind works the way it does. Uh, It reminded me of that bit from John Mulaney's joke 
or his his stand up where he says he saw like a, a wheelchair flipped over and he says, you want to think there's a happy ending there, but you know, there's not right. And the, the, the shoe reminded me of that wheelchair. Like the person was probably not doing anything very good when they lost that shoe running away. Right. I, I mean, I thought it almost felt like someone was like yanked out of their their shoes, you know, like it was so sudden and so, with such like ferocity that there someone... was just the one. I mean, yeah. she eventually finds the other one, I guess. She does. But, but she does. There's just one in this spot. It's insane to me. The whole thing, all those personal effects. Um, you know, again, it looked like a, a newspaper building and she does find that friend's dvd which is a you know a, a weird comfort of a pastime i guess she also finds a wall clearly used for an execution which if this was a newspaper that makes total sense yes it does i mean that's like one of the first things you have to do right is control like, information control information she is hiding out uh in the warehouse and uh and we hear some noises. How much did you feel like, is this a good guy or a bad guy? Oh, I was manipulated into to not knowing who it was, you know, because why wouldn't it be some kind of marauder? I mean, we've got a whole season left to go, right? It, I think also because you and I have had experience, you know, watching Colony where it feels like there's got to be the same amount of... um like scavenging going on from other people and so like it would make sense to me if there was some amount of going into abandoned buildings and taking like you know anything you could that was like useful in some way that seems like a thing that would actually happen although again not having any understanding of what the outside world is doing maybe everyone's got plentiful amount of supplies so I was thrilled to see it was Nick, though. That seemed like a big yay. Were you surprised at June's response about calling this a slaughterhouse and wanting to get out of there immediately? Well, no, but I was also not surprised that Nick was like, they don't tell me anything. It's it's like pulling teeth to get them to tell you to get them to tell me anything about you. This is the best we can do. We just have to lay low. For a little while. I'm sorry. So this whole scene had me really, really worried because this was what I was sort of like worrying about in episode one. And really, honestly, all the way back to when we found out really of her and Nick having these kind of affair together that it was like, I feel like at any time he could turn on her and not turn her in, but like just control her. It's just be a different type of control so the part where he um she's demanding to leave and she's telling him what's gonna happen they're gonna go get hannah and all this stuff she, he gives her the keys but then he goes he takes the gun out oh my god every hair on my head stood on end because i totally thought he was gonna be like you're not leaving get over here and sit down you know like in a creepy like you're almost like a hostage kind of way it turns it from like a safe house to like a hostage situation yeah, it seemed to me on reflection, he had a pretty good, pretty good idea. She wasn't going anywhere. You said that while we were watching. And I, of course, I totally agree. And, you know, looking back, I mean, he seemed he was calm. He didn't seem like he was going to do anything. But do you get where I'm coming from about this idea where it just it almost felt like it just went from escape and safety to like almost like a hostage situation? Nick's baby's in there. He's he's uh we haven't seen him need to get very nasty or nasty at all, really. Uh, no, I, I, the, the gun pulling, I thought, you know, I didn't think he was going to do anything with it except do what he did. Wow. I never in a million thought he was going to hand it to her, but he did. She gets all the way to the car and completely realizes like there is no way that she has any chance of going anywhere. She has no idea where to go. She doesn't have any support. And here she's going to leave Nick, like the only person who's actually managed to get her anywhere better. Yep. Non-starter. Did you expect there to be a warehouse of passion following this revelation? <laughs> uh, no, but uh, I, you know, in context, it made sense because uh, they were both had kind of their blood up, if you will. Um, <laughs> Is this one of those things where it's like men after war? Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, you have to so. explain that a little bit because, you know, in other podcasts, you've had to extrapolate for me this concept that when a guy gets all like 
wigged out about anything. No, no, about no, fighting no. in particular. And so there's, I guess, uh, leftover energy that has to be spent some way. And that w- the best way to do it is with humping. <laughs> so this is like makeup sex, if you will? Yeah, in a way. Uh, I mean... I don't know that his adrenaline had been quite where hers was because she was pretty revved up uh, about needing to get out of there. And so the way that everything worked out, it did seem very much like she was needing. (laughs) uh, uh, How do I want to say this sensitively? She was in charge. I would say she was in charge. I thought it was a really neat, again, sort of like watching Emily find her niche in the world with the colonies and how awful it was. I thought it was fascinating. And again, this strange, weird sense of hopefulness that June spends her time going upstairs and finding all the different personal effects of different people who she assumes were killed down in the in on this wall, this firing squad wall. And she makes a memorial out of the wall with yeah. the with the different notes and pictures. I feel like she like really like took back right. that as like a place of sadness into a place of respect and appreciation for those people and memorial you know actually having some some grieving for them and what i found like really fascinating especially given what you had said in that very coarse manner earlier about the lord she opts to pray she doesn't choose to just say some you know a nice quote or something from literature or or a song or something she chooses to pray and so i felt like this was like so important for her to again take back spirituality and take back her own relationship with god that is not being forced down her throat now she is allowed to make her own choices and she chooses to reach out to god on her own i wish i was a little better informed on this topic but when she said that what it made me think about was the way that Aunt Lydia in particular takes religious passages that do exist, but, and I assume this is just how the Gilead version of the Bible is written, but they chop it up into just the parts that they need to use, right? And, mm-hmm. and the rest like of it- like a mad libs of the Bible. Right. And they're, so they're uninterested in other parts that contradict the message, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I can't promise you this, but it seemed to me that what she was saying was probably the, the shall we say, the- the raw version of an actual passage or something from the Bible, whereas, you know, not the Gilead version, but the, like you were saying, she reclaimed it in its pure form. Right. And the, and the people who, who were killed, you know, the people who had been sacrificed in order for these people to take over the way they did. So I, again, I thought that this was just like a really fascinating bookend um, situation with Emily's story and, and how they both found a way to carve their little niche out. I mean, anyone else who ever finds that will find a memorial to those people, which will, it, it's like such a slap in the face of the people who did this, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, there's still people out here who, who care and who would have, and who cared about these people. And, and you know, you can't take away people's compassion like that. And I, I just think that that was such exquisite writing and, and really, you know, I swear when we turned it off, I felt like me and you like looked at each other like, ah, you know, episode two. It's so much to take on. I don't know about you guys who are watching right now. I'm I when they put these out like back to back, like episode one and two like this, it kind of, uh, you know, invites you to obviously watch both back to back. But man, do I encourage everybody to not binge watch the rest of the season, to take it week by week and really absorb it and take each part of the story and and you know think mull on it a little bit because god these are so heavy are you able to binge watch the handsmaid's tale no i wouldn't i would not recommend it like the first episode this season was meant to make you feel like yeah sure you get to meet your old friends again but it's it's you also get punched in the stomach at the same time and now we get to see it's and this is this just the same thing but with emily right Right. Yeah, she's in a very terrible place. She's going to get cancer if she stays here. She probably does have cancer at this I point. I assume she does. So, and she's in this place where she has to kill people just as part of her her life now because of her of her moral standards. Not where she ever wanted to be. 
she was supposed to be a professor and a scientist and all that stuff. Given that, I mean, it's like a one-two punch that way, right? The, this was not, they didn't let up on the gas with with Emily's episode. Not at all. Not at all. And I, I really think that that is going to continue on. And so, you know, as you guys are listening, you know, I really encourage you guys to continue to listen to the podcast in between and give yourself at least a little bit of a breather. Um, we tried to be a little bit uh, lighter, lighter on on some of these um, and try to try to give you guys some things to think about. So thank you guys so much for listening. And you can listen to us on dailyreview.com, our website. You can listen to us on iTunes, just searching for Daily Review. You can find us on Twitter, Daily Review, all one word, D-A-L-E-Y Review, or we even have an Instagram account that we don't use all that much, but it's the same thing, Daily Review. Or you can find us at our friend's house, so many shows.com. And SMS on air, radio. We're on Mondays and Wednesday nights, but you can catch all our friends Monday through Friday with Jay and the gang. Waka waka. <laughs> have a good one, you guys. Bye. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.